Welcome to the first episode of the Solent Let podcast. I'm James Ford, the Business Engagement and Growth Hub Manager, and over the next few episodes, me and my colleague Kate Cloud will be taking a look at some of the big issues affecting businesses across the Solent region. In this first episode, I'm talking about one of the biggest changes for businesses large and small over recent months, Brexit and e-commerce in the new landscape. Joining me down the line to discuss the challenges and practicalities is Chris Hill, who's the founder and MD of e-commerce consultancy Runway. So Chris, a few questions for you today. Um, It's been a big change for businesses with Brexit. What have you found to be the biggest issues that businesses have had to deal with? James, there's been so much uh, that's happened um, very fast. I don't know if you and uh, your listeners remember that in the run-up to uh, the Brexit deal, there'd been an awful lot of anxiety and a lack of knowledge exactly what was going to happen. And nobody really knew until it happened. So people had to deal with a lot of change very quickly and businesses had to adapt overnight uh, you know and in many cases it caused a lot of confusion and in some cases it, it caused a bit of panic because of so, of so much change happening so quickly the initial deal uh, as it was announced uh, you know kicked in a whole lot of changes in the way that goods cross over the border uh, into France and into Europe there was instantly an awful lot of admin and a lot of bureaucracy that people had to deal with, um, not just deal with, but just understand in the first place. And, you know, there was an, a huge amount of information to, to disseminate and, and, and for people to get um, their heads around. And I think, you know, the upshot of that is people got very distracted from their day-to-day businesses, you know, if you like their UK business, let alone, you know, the opportunities and, and the, the export business and what was going on cross-border. And that, I think, you know, dented people's confidence a bit. You know, they had to suddenly get outside their comfort zone and learn new stuff, be constantly tracking information sources. You know, it was a pretty big sort of psychological um, impact that people uh, were were forced to to sort of confront. And, you know, suddenly people also realized that they, you know, they needed to know an awful lot more and they needed the capabilities in their in their in their company, the time and the resource to to deal with the change. So it was quite big. So you talk about change a lot, Chris. Um, what would you say the biggest challenge has been for businesses that you've seen? So I think as I said initially, there was an awful lot of change around, you know, what actually happens uh, at the border and what uh, with the EU, let's call it, you know, one border. In fact, there's 27 EU markets out there. Um, but, you know, at the border, suddenly there were uh, a number of different customs controls and there was more paperwork. That paperwork needed to contain an awful lot more information that, than it was needed before. You had the so-called EORI number, E-O-R-I number, which if you were uh, exporting from the UK to the EU, you had to have both a GB EORI and an EU EORI. Um, then you also had to have something called an HS code. Um, and these these remain very important uh, pieces of information to, to have on paperwork and any to do with, uh, you know, customs uh, and uh, exporting to the EU or indeed anywhere else in the world. And then the other bit, which was, um, you know, particularly new to people was the idea that you had to pay um, import duties or specifically import VAT um, to clear goods through customs. And, you know, that caused an awful lot of confusion because, of course, we've been used to um, selling 
to all our markets in Europe, all other 27 members, without having to think about, you know, what happens when my goods cross borders and, you know, what about taxes, duties and tariffs. We didn't have to think about that before. And now we did very quickly. So those are, that was a particular challenge. I think as a result of that, there were, you know, an awful lot of costs that suddenly were appearing in the system, as it were. Couriers were charging a bit more because they had to get spend more time to get things through customs to make sure the paperwork was right, the shipping agents, the parcel operators and, and, and the, the, you know, the couriers that were shipping our stuff and, and transporting our stuff across those borders on our behalf. Um, so that was something to deal with quite quickly and, and, you know, take a hit on in terms of the costs as you try to figure it out. You know, there are various other challenges, particularly those that are in the e-commerce space um, and those that were uh, listed and selling on Amazon. Amazon used to have uh, a single European network for warehousing and distribution. So that means if you were a UK-based Amazon seller, you were able to ship or deposit your inventory and all the stock that you wanted to sell on Amazon to an Amazon UK-based warehouse. And then Amazon would move the stock around the European warehousing network, whether that be you know, a, a warehouse in Holland or a warehouse in Germany or France. And you, know, you wouldn't have to worry about where your inventory was um, as long as Amazon's system held enough stock for you. What they did, uh, you know, quite a few quickly after Brexit happened, is they split the UK and Europe. So suddenly there were two um, networks, as it were, and the two didn't, you know, you couldn't interconnect the two. So that suddenly um, caused, you know, quite a few problems for certainly Amazon sellers and understanding, you know, the difference in uh, demand from both their UK shoppers and pan-European shoppers. And then there was, you know, going into quite a few other technicalities now, looking at how and where you source all your uh, goods from. You might have a business that depended on buying goods in from China. Uh, you take them into the UK, into your UK warehouse, uh, and then you'd, you'd want to ship them over to Europe. And suddenly you realize that actually you're paying tariffs twice there. So there was an awful lot of issues around supply chain and something called rules of origin, which we'll probably come back and talk to about uh, later. Um, all of these issues, which I've just described, really affect whether you know, you've got a, a viable business or not, if you can or cannot overcome them and still make a profit doing it. So the business model itself was under question for, for a lot of, and remains, uh, you know, uh, under question for a lot of companies today. I think getting the business model right is, is so important for business owners. And, you know, Chris, you've talked about a lot of challenges there, but, you know, in my experience with challenges that there also presents opportunities. So what, what, what type of opportunities have you seen for businesses and, and sort of what sort of marketplaces should businesses be looking at? You're absolutely right there, James. The, the businesses that have figured out the changes and adapted the fastest have a fantastic opportunity to do really well going forwards. And needless to say, e-commerce has played a big part in a lot of business change over the last 18 months, two years, notwithstanding Brexit, but also obviously because of the, the effect of COVID on shopping habits and uh, where people buy and how much time they're spending online. E-commerce has a, a fantastic opportunity. And as 
trade becomes much more digitized anyway. I think a lot of the problems we've had over the last uh, 18 months, two years, will slowly dissipate because many of the systems and process involved with cross-border sales will become effectively um, more seamless and digitized. There are some fantastic marketplaces out there, online marketplaces that uh, facilitate export and international sales relatively easiest. Um, Amazon is obviously the big one. There are five very big marketplaces in Europe, obviously France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and Germany in particular is a very big e-commerce market, as is the UK. And there are very, very many opportunities, not just on Amazon, but on a growing number of marketplaces in Europe and globally that are much smaller than Amazon and much more focused on specific industries and even markets specifically. Uh, you know, there's a few. There's OnBuy, which is doing very well for, for, for UK sellers selling to Europeans. Frugo is another one. Um, C Discount is very big in France, where a lot of UK sellers are, are listing. Um, if you're looking further east uh, into Europe, around sort of Poland, which is another big market, there's a, there's a marketplace called Allegro. I think you know any any business that has is is fully embracing the online opportunity today is going to get through the challenges and the problems and the impact of both Brexit and COVID reasonably quickly. It all sounds really exciting, Chris, but from a, from a business owner's perspective, if I make something, let's say, talk me through, you know, what are the next steps? What are the actual practicalities? What do I need to do and, and, and where do I start to, to start selling my, my widget um, in these countries? Well, I think the... The temptation is is to think that digital e-commerce online is either going to be much easier or it's going to make my life completely different to what I know. And I think it's really important for companies and owners of businesses to stick to some extent what you know and what you're really good at, because you know those strengths are things that can take you forward and those strengths are things that make you feel confident about your business, but also taking on new challenges and uh, looking at new opportunities. Um, marketplaces are great places to uh, great channels, online channels to test your products because um, you don't need to put your whole line, your whole range on there immediately. And you could get, you know, one or two SKUs, one or two products on onto a marketplace, get to understand that marketplace and the complexities or not of, of, of a, a marketplace and slowly you know, feel comfortable, get yourself um, up to speed and up and running and then bring on more. I think that, you know, the, the rule of thumb is, is is to bring on, you know, a couple of SKUs to start with and, and, and then bring on more, depending on what sort of business you are, of course. So I, I buy online. Um, I'm a regular purchaser. Um, and I know that I have to, there's certain things that I have to do as a buyer, whether that be putting my car details, register my address. Um, but what are the regulations? What does, what as a seller... What are the regulations and perhaps some of the customs challenges that business owners need to think about and, and comply with? Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. Every business is different and every industry has a set of regulations affecting it. And staying on top of those regulations is 
a big job, and particularly as the UK begins to go its own way and the EU another way, which is probably going to happen in time. So staying abreast of that is important. When you're listing on a marketplace um, in Europe or elsewhere, that marketplace will um, require you as a listing a company listing on, on their marketplace that you your products comply with the regulations. You have to know that if you're selling food and drink that your ingredients are proper, properly listed. You have to make sure that if you're selling electronic goods or medical devices in Europe in the future that you have a uh, a CE marking and that, that that you have somebody in the, whichever market or that you're listing on uh, is there to represent you for that. Um, I mean, it's a very good question and it's a very complicated world. It always was and it always will be where you have, you know, individual markets applying slightly different regulations for different categories. And although we've all, you know, we all imagine the EU is one harmonized uh, zone of 27 markets in terms of regulations, that's not true in many cases, particularly in the food sector. You know, it does need time and it does need focus and it does need some capabilities in-house or, you know, you can obviously outsource it to to make sure that you understand everything and you're sticking to all the regulations as you sell in these markets. So you, you briefly touched and talked about VAT earlier. Um, mm. What what does that mean? What what sort of things would I, as a business owner, have to think about, you know, and, and, and look at and, and perhaps factor in to my business model about VAT and any rules around sales taxes. Oh, uh, now you're asking the fun questions, James. Um, when I started to get my head around Brexit and the implications of being outside of the EU, I suddenly became much more of an expert on VAT than I wanted to be. Um, and that was a big, that is, um, you know, probably the, 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 the biggest issue and question that people have today not least because actually there's still quite a few things going on in uh, with with VAT um for example on, on the 1st of July the EU rolled out the EU e-commerce VAT package and the good thing about that is actually it made things an awful lot easier for people selling into the EU um, from a third country which of course the UK is now by enabling you to uh, particularly as an e-commerce seller, to to only have to only need one registration through a system called the Import One Stop Shop, which is commonly called IOSS or IOS, and that got rid of a problem that had been bedeviling um, people for for this previous six months up until July of, of 2021 um, of having to register for VAT in every individual. EU country that they were selling their goods into, um, and you know, and there was a lot of a, a lot of problem. That's actually easing now, so some things are getting easier and better, um, and that's actually quite a positive development from from the EU. But you still have to recognise that uh, there are responsibilities that you have to have added responsibilities. There are different VAT rates applicable uh, in different. EU markets. Each individual EU market, as we do, as we did, have the right to to apply the VAT rate that um, you know we as a sovereign nation want to apply. So it's it's been so much change, and uh, I think there's so much information available. Um, do, in your opinion, do you think 
do you think we you know as business owners looking at any more change or any you know any new updates to come in the future um yes is the simple answer to that question what i would uh, advise as a sort of general uh piece of advice for people who are either trading regularly in europe or looking to trade in europe is to is to get um online to the institute of export and international trade their website is export.org.uk and they are um a, a good source of information as to what's coming down the pipeline and, and giving you know good overviews of of what people need to be thinking about there are two or three things still coming through one of which has been in the in the press quite a lot around what is called statements of origin that is to do with the rules of origin which require a statement from uh, the exporter um, that the importer can rely on to as it were certify guarantee that the origin of the goods is from where it is basically now if you're in the uh, if you're importing from the EU um, into the UK and if you're importing into the EU from the UK so both ways um, and that your goods are entirely, made up of materials that are either originating from the UK or the EU, nothing's really going to change um, apart from the fact that you need the statement there. However, if you are importing goods that have actually originated from somewhere else before, or you know, you're making and, and, and manufacturing stuff from all sorts of places, that's the, where things get really complicated. So there's a bit more admin and there's a lot more checking to be done by yourself as a business and inevitably at the border uh, as to what what is the origin of the goods uh, as a whole and in terms of the components of them as well. Thanks, Chris. So you talked about a lot of changes and a lot of detail. Um, so if I'm a business and I'm interested in trading abroad, you know, it all sounds very daunting about, you know, all the changes, paperwork, regulations, etc. So what what would your advice be if I was looking to export or if I'd exported in the past and, and perhaps stopped because I was worried about all the changes? What what advice would you give? Yes, that's obviously the, you know, the big question is the future i mean the the first point i would i would make james to any business owner um particularly one that's got all, you know existing business in europe um is don't ditch your loyal customers um your loyal customers in the eu you know will continue to expect you to to deliver and um and to service your needs on an ongoing basis um so it's really important that businesses kind of work it out um, for them. Um, and having a loyal customer is a, a much better way or much more efficient way of, you know, maintaining business and profitable business than uh, trying to find new ones. Loyalty really matters. So I think a business really needs to, to, to figure it out. How can I continue to look after them? How can I continue to get products to them? How can I service them? Equally, you know, how can I make sure the returns process is still smooth without, hopefully, um, having to charge them too much? You know, I think there's a question to be to be asked um, at this particular junction in, in you know, our, our sort of post-COVID experience and as Brexit begins to sort of fade away as a, a, a big issue is, can you afford to risk your business dependence on, on the UK domestic market alone? And, 
you know, is the UK market going to continue to be a, a, a great source of, 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 of growth and, and continued success? And I'll quote somebody here, actually. It was, it was a rather stark quote that was made in the beginning of the, uh, the second lockdown by the CEO of a big logistics company. And he said uh, that exporting globally could be the difference between life and death for UK businesses in the future because countries around the world have been affected by the virus's spread in different ways. So any business that sells to a broader range of markets, it's giving itself the best possible chance to succeed. It's quite a stark one, that. But the point is really good, well made. And, and so my advice is about sort of building in diversity in, into the way that in which you plan your business going ahead and making sure that, that you are selling to more than one market. Having said that, a lot of businesses often um, and quite rightly and, and should be encouraged to get excited about exporting um, despite all the challenges and spread themselves too thin, try to do too many things at once. You know, right, I've got to get my new website up and running, which means that uh, I've got a .com now, not just a .co.uk, so it's more searchable online from customers all over the world. Um, then I've got to get myself listed on several marketplaces, and I've still got my retailers and wholesalers to support. You know, there is an awful lot to do, and... Doing it right in one or two markets is is uh, going to be a lot easier than trying to spread yourself too thin. And once you've got it really, things are really going in one or two markets, you can replicate that in, in more markets. So it's about focus to start with. And the, I mean, the other bit of advice is, is um, to not un underestimate or undermine or, or forget about how important doing your market research is. I mean, that was in, as important 25 years ago as it is today. There's just an awful lot more information available and therefore um, you would be in, in a better position to, to, to um, make sure that you were de-risking uh, your expansion into a new market or you're listing onto a, a, a marketplace as much as possible. And, and the final point, actually, James, I, I would say is, I mean, I've been talking an awful lot about sort of the changes and some of the opportunities. Um, and I think that the last bit of advice I'd give in, in right here is have somebody in your team whose job it is to think international, to think outside of the UK, to fully understand all the, the regulatory stuff, the export operations, uh, logistics um, and tax stuff, because it, you know, it has become more complicated and it does need quite a lot to take a lot of time and resource to, to stay on top of it. Um, and you don't necessarily want to sort of, you know, distract yourself from your, you know, your main business, which is possibly the UK market, but do have somebody internally who, you know, who becomes the export on international. I think it's a great advice, Chris. I think having focus and a dedicated team to look at this is 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 really important for people. So just just to finish with then looking at the, the positives and again going back to the opportunities, looking a bit further forward, what what do you think the opportunities on the horizon for businesses are? What what do you think that is going to look like and and what people should be thinking about? Well, I'm going to sort of repeat the word e-commerce and 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 digital trade. I th you know there are increasingly opportunities to, to to go to markets fast to to get in front of consumers fast to uh, service consumers fast it's amazing how much is is going on in the in the whole um, online 
um, digital and, cro and cross-border e-commerce space. I think that digitization um, of marketing and cross-border e-commerce is, is going to be a massive driver for growth, um, obviously for UK businesses, but for businesses all over the world as, as um, we just become um, increasingly less dependent on paper, on border barriers as they were pain points that occur in the buying experience or the shipping experience you know that extends to payments to the onset of of cryptocurrencies enabling secure digital transactions um there's a, there's an awful lot going on in this world um that's coming up on the horizon but i mean there's an i'm going to quote somebody else actually a, a close associate of mine a um, a great man called Rob Keeve, who runs a business called Flow, that is specialist in cross-border e-commerce. He said, uh, when I was talking to him once, in an online world, going global is a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you? Pretty easy thing to say, but you know, when you recognise how fast marketplaces are growing and how many people are flocking to them and selling and buying on them, how many global platforms there are uh, everything from your basic e-commerce uh, engine which um, you've set up your website to sell on um, shopify is a very strong player in this field and is particularly well orientated um, to, to cross-border e-commerce they've just launched something called shopify markets that's just made the whole business of switching on new markets and new territories for your direct-to-consumer website a hell of a lot easier and if you look at uh, what you know what's going on in terms of what's called social commerce in terms of facebook instagram and tiktok you know they're now selling live streaming um providing you know buying opportunities with with integrated content and being able to provide a a, a clickable e-commerce solution um embedded in in those platforms and and as you know content so i mean it's it's mind-blowing what's going on in that space at the moment there's so much going on in it the sooner businesses embrace what's going on the, the better i mean i think the other thing that is going on obviously quite rapidly um, the government is making some progress now with free trade agreements um, directly with a number of markets around the world. There's been some recent uh, successes around uh, Asia, uh, Australia, Japan, Singapore, um, and these are going to accelerate now. So I think you know keep keep tabs on the markets that are you know that are, are showing themselves really interested in doing trade with the UK. And, you know, there's an awful lot of business out there in Asia. And those are also very uh, digitized, um, e-commerce friendly um, environments. And so, you know, it's it's not just about digital, but it's also about uh, these markets that the UK are, are very keen to, to, to make trade as easy as possible with. And at the end of the day, you know, what we're trying to do is, is have a, a, as much business as we possibly can with markets um, that are governed by free traders and increasingly, you know, highly digitized markets. Thanks, Chris. That's really useful and loads of great information and advice for businesses. So I'd just like to thank Chris for joining us on our first episode of the Solent Let podcast. And just to say next time, my colleague Kate will be speaking with Francis Fawcett, an expert on international trading post-Brexit. 
If you'd like any further information about any of the topics we've been talking about today, or to find out more about Sodent Lep's Growth Hub and the support that we offer, please go to sodentlep.org.uk. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel.